So uh, I'm Felix. For those who don't know me, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows me. I have the privilege of speaking God's words today. And today, I want to continue in the series that we are going on at the moment. I'm just going to grab my water. Uh, we are uh, going through a series uh, called The Word and the Spirit. And uh, it is my great privilege this morning to speak from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, uh, the first 11 verses. And my theme this morning is overcoming temptations. Now, Jesus taught us to pray, and one line in the Lord's Prayer, he asks us or teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, Jesus realized the importance of temptations, and that is why he put it at the core of our prayers. And he realized that we are not going to defeat temptation in our own strength. And that is why he taught us to pray to him for him to be able to deliver us from temptations. Why would he do that? He did that because he himself was tempted and he defeated temptation. So how can we overcome temptation? This is my sermon in short. Let us look at Jesus, and we will be able to overcome temptation. So I read from Matthew 4, uh, starting from verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the splendor. All these will be, I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship you, worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, I want just to take a minute to put these words in context. Uh, the, the text there starts with the word then. Now, normally you would not start a paragraph or a chapter with the word then. So I just want to look a minute back and see what is happening, why they are starting that chapter by the word then. It is because in the previous chapter, Jesus has just stepped into the water where John the Baptist was baptizing people and, and preaching the gospel of repentance to God. And Jesus stepping into the water and asked John to baptize him. John baptizes Jesus. And as Jesus comes out of the water, a dove comes, the Holy Spirit comes by the dove and rests on Jesus. And the heavens open 
And a voice from heaven, God declaring, God the Father from heaven declaring, this is my son of whom I am well pleased. Now Jesus has had a huge, gigantic moment of God himself affirming that this is my son. It is one of his highest, highest moments. Now, immediately he receives this moment, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Now, as he goes into the wilderness, he goes there and starts fasting. That is spending day and night with God, seeking God, seeking the face of God, without eating anything or drinking anything. Now, you must understand that at this time, Fasting was not something that was unique only to Jesus. It was a practice that was there for people who really observed the law. We read in in Exodus 34, before Moses received the law, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And God gave him the law at Mount Horeb. We also read from 1 Kings chapter 19 that Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights after God gave him a special meal that took him through that period. And even in this time, as Jesus is just beginning his ministry, there were Pharisees and Sadducees who were fasting often. So fasting wasn't something that was really new. But why did Jesus do it? Jesus did it so that he can equip himself. He can equip himself with the presence of God before the beginning of his ministry. Now, science has, ta- has taught us that when you go eight days without food, you will really feel hungry and you will really feel the cravings for the first eight days. Then after the eight days have, lapses, have lapsed, you are no, no longer going to feel hungry. Hunger is going to disappear Past is going to disappear. But depending on who you are and how strong you are, when hunger and thirst returns after the eight days, whenever they return, you will be at a point of death. You will be starving. And if you don't eat, you are going to die. So Jesus is in the wilderness. He is in the desert. He went there to reveal who he is. We are told in Corinthians that the first Adam, he was in a perfect place in the Garden of Aden. God had given him everything, every opportunity that he wanted was there. All the fruits, all the plants, all the quietness and the peace. He was living in a perfect place. But when he was tempted, Adam failed. But Jesus is in a place of barrenness, of bareness. And the Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. Now he is at a barren place, far different than where Adam was. But he is going to be tempted and he is going to overcome. He also went there so that he can relate to us. Jesus came as man. He did not come as God. And by him fasting in the wilderness... He is also setting an example to us 
that we will go through the same process, we will go through the same temptations, and if we put our trust and faith in him, we are going to overcome. So the devil comes after Jesus has fasted 40 days, and he is so hungry. Then the devil comes and says, if you are the son of God, turn the stones into bread. Now what the devil is doing here, he is asking Jesus to do something for himself to prove who he is. At the same time, Satan is questioning God's provision for us, for Jesus. He is telling Jesus, because God is unable to provide for you, you do something about the situation for yourself. And he says, if you are the son of God, you turn these stones into bread. Now the devil is still tempting us in the same way, even presently. He will want to tell you, if you are a Christian, if you are the child of God, why are you going through this? If you are the son of God, why are you carrying on in this sickness? Why are you having these troubles in your relationship? Why are you doing this and doing that? And the reason why the devil is doing that is to create us to cause doubt upon our position in Christ. And secondly, it is upon him to say that we are not going to look upon God for our provision. We are going to seek means by ourselves to provide for us. It is the same temptation Jesus faced at the cross when the thief told him, come out of the cross if you are the son of God. And we need to be wary by just looking at this temptation. We need to be wary of the schemes of the enemy because he is there to divert us from the path that God has destined for us. And so many times in our lives we are tempted to do something about our situation to make a change. And sometimes we do, but in the process we miss out on what God has set and prepared for us. How often do we settle for bread because we try and do things our own way and just miss out on the special positions that God has destined for us? But Jesus handles Satan in a very unique and powerful way. Notice that Jesus doesn't engage the devil in an argument. He would have really been tempted to engage the devil in an argument and say, what do you mean if I am the son of God? Of course I am the son of God. But notice that Jesus doesn't do that. And often we are tempted, you know, if you go about in our daily life, when people challenge us of things, we are so tempted to engage in arguments and challenges of what they are saying. And sometimes we spend countless times and countless hours arguing, trying to prove a point which is worthless, which doesn't lead anywhere. So Jesus forgets all that and just goes to the scripture. So Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6 and tells the devil, 
man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there are things we need to understand. Man is made of three parts. Man is made of the body, the soul, and the spirit. Now, so many a times, we spend countless times, a huge percentage of our time, concentrating on one part of us being the body. We clothe ourselves, we entertain ourselves, we build ourselves up, we look good all the time, concentrating all our energy and effort in that single part of our body. But that is not all that we are. There are two other parts of our bodies that we are neglecting, which is the spirit and the soul. We need to realize that we are not, we are not just body, but we are body, spirit, and soul. And primarily, we are actually spirits with souls living in bodies. So where we need to put our effort and energy is supposed to be the spirit and not the body. So by Jesus quoting this scripture, he's telling the the, the devil that it is not about the flesh. It is not about the body. But it is what I feed in my spirit, what I feed the spirit that will give me life and not what I feed the flesh. Jesus says that it is not the physical realm that is important, but the spiritual. And I find my food in God's word. Now, what is the food of the spirit? The food of the spirit is the word of God. So how can we feed on this word of God? As Jesus says, man shall live by the word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there are several ways of how we can feed on the word of God. Number one is reading the word of God. This is just normal, natural, picking the Bible and just reading through or putting on an audio book of the Bible and just listening as someone reads through the word. It is nourishing to the soul. But that is not enough. Reading the word of God alone is not enough. Because even non-believers read the word of God. And they get nothing out of it. Apart from reading, we are also to study the word of God. Now, studying the word of God is much more than reading. It is picking a text. And finding the context of what that text is all about. And finding other corresponding Texts that correspond with that text and getting truth from several sources as you bring together what you want to get from the word. Now, for me to be able to speak this word this morning, I had to study the word of God. I had to look at various chapters and various writings to see how they all pin together. Now, that is a practice that we all can pick on. But studying is not enough. We also need to meditate on the word of God. Now, meditating goes beyond reading and beyond studying. Meditating is 
picking a verse, picking a scripture, and just letting that scripture sit on your heart and go through your mind and just relaxing in the presence of God and just listening to him. What is he speaking to you through that text, through that scripture? It is shutting all the noises that are around you and just feeding in from the inside out. Now, while we were worshiping, I was carrying my son, Zachary. Now, in the midst of all that noise, he just rested on my chest. And I thought he was sleeping, but he wasn't. He was just resting there, relaxed. In the midst of all those noises, he was at peace. And that is what meditating is all about. Just being one with God and at peace with God as you just feed from him from the inside out. Apart from meditating, we can also memorize the word of God. Now Jesus speaks to to the devil because of memorizing the word of God. Because he was able to quote a scripture without having the scroll. So he quoted a scripture from memory, probably a scripture that he had been meditating on in his 40 days and 40 night fast. And God was able to bring that scripture to his mind at that time to be able to speak the truth in the midst of a lie. But all of that is not going to work. Reading and studying and meditating and memorizing, all that is useless unless we can live the word of God. We need to believe and to live the word of God. If we just read, if we just quote scriptures, if we just kind of speak out loud and we don't apply that to our daily life, our daily walk with Jesus, That is all in vain. Because Jesus himself said, blessed are those that know these things and they do them than just hear and not do anything about them. So the enemy realizes that, wow, Jesus has quoted the scripture. The enemy is clever. That is why Jesus doesn't argue with him. So Satan goes back into his memory, and comes out with a scripture, a counter scripture. So he takes Jesus to the holy city, to the highest peak of the temple. Now, those who have written books about this, they will say that 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 was like 200 feet below the ground. And if you are looking at it from the valley side, it was like 450 feet the highest point of the temple to the lowest part of the temple. So he takes Jesus up there and he tells him, you drop yourself down. And he quotes the scripture. He quotes Psalm 91. And he tells him, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil also quotes scriptures. That is why I say it is not enough for us just to quote scriptures. So he quotes the scripture. But notice something. The devil will always be 
cunning and tricky. That is why you can never argue with the devil. So he quotes the scripture, but he omits one of the core parts of the scripture. That psalm, I actually have it. It actually says, for he will command his angels concerning you. And the devil omits these words to guard you in all your ways. God is talking about in all of your ways. Not just picking a situation and manipulating it and wanting God to come to your rescue. He says in all of your ways. So the devil omits that from his quoting to Jesus. So what is he doing here? He's questioning the father's protection. He's asking Jesus, can the father really protect you? You prove it. You test God. Test and see, can he really protect you? He is saying in your word that his word that he is going to protect you. Can he really protect you? It speaks of the pride of our life. Our desire to demonstrate God's approval of us. I want to tell you that there is something in us. Something evil, I would say. Something evil in us that really bugs us to get God to approve of us publicly. There is that inner craving in us. And it's not a good craving. It's an evil craving. Because we want other people to see us more holier, more mightier, more spiritual than actually who we are. And it is a scheme of the enemy to make us look so good and then in our private life, we can do whatever we want. So long as in the public eye, everybody says, wow, Felix is something. And Jesus realizes what the devil is doing here. And Jesus categorically tells the enemy, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Because Jesus realized that my father is going to provide. My father is going to protect me. And I refuse to test him for him to prove that he is going to protect me or he is going to provide for me. Don't push yourself in harm's way just to test God to be able to protect you. God's protection is upon your life. God's provision is upon your life. But don't put yourself in harm's way necessarily saying that God is going to protect me just because I'm walking this dark path. If you go out there and lie on that road and a speeding car comes and you are lying there and saying God is going to protect me because I'm his child, the car is going to run you over. And God is going to protect you, all right, but in heaven, not here on earth. (laughs) So we need to desist from doing things, putting ourselves in harm's way, because there is that constant temptation of us saying, okay, because I'm a child of God, because I'm living by grace of God, I can do whatever I want because I am under the covering of the blood of Jesus. We need to desist from there. Testing has been spoken about in scripture. Now, there are two types of testing. 
The first testing in the scripture is in, 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 in regard to us exercising our faith. So there is good testing of God and unacceptable testing of God. The good testing of God is demonstrated especially like in Malachi chapter 3 when God says, bring the whole tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in the house. Test, and the word used there for test in Malachi, I don't know Hebrew, but I read this, is bachan. And that word is used, it means to examine, to scrutinize, or to prove. It is like gold. Gold is tested through fire to prove its quality. And the word used there in Malachi, God was telling the children of Israel, test me, prove that I am good. Prove that I can provide. Prove that I am going to fill you with more if you give to me. But the, Now Jesus is quoting this from Deuteronomy 6.16. Now in the context of this, the children of Israel at Mesa, they tested God. God had brought them out of the, the land of Egypt. Had done so many miracles along the way and reaching there, they didn't have water. And they started grumbling and murmuring and complaining and cursing God and saying, why did you get us out of Egypt to come and die in the wilderness? Instead of trusting in the provision of God, they forgot everything that God had done and they started grumbling. And God tells them, do not put the God, your God, to the test. Now I know several of us are going through difficult situations. You might be going through a difficulty in your life whereby you can't see God working out seemingly in your life. Now, I want to urge you, don't test God even when you are going through hardship. Look back and remember how God has carried you, how God has secured you, how God has led you up to the point where you are. And exercise faith rather than test and tempt to our Lord. We as the children of Israel seek always to test God. But Jesus lamenting in the book of Luke chapter 11 verse 29 says that this generation is demanding a sign always. We are always asking God, do something to demonstrate that you are with me. Do something to prove that you are God. And Jesus lamented in Luke 11 and says that this generation is seeking for a sign and they will not be given any sign apart from the sign of Jonah. We should not seek after signs because God is there. His protection is there, but we should seek relationship with you. We are to accept God's word in faith without requiring proof. God's promises are available to us, but to manipulate God in fulfilling those promises won't work, and it is evil. Now, nowadays, people will believe anything. People will believe anything, especially what comes from preachers on the pulpit. Someone will come and quote a few verses, and people will believe that that is the truth. But that is far from the truth. We need to scrutinize this thing. We need to judge the word and divide the word by the spirit. As it says in 2 Timothy 2.15. That we need to divide the word 
and the spirit so that we can measure the word and see what comes and measures before God. Now lastly, the devil takes Jesus on a high mountain and he tells him, he shows him all the creation and tells him, just worship me and I will give you everything. So the devil goes even deeper. Now this is, I believe, the deepest temptation Jesus faced. The devil says, all this is mine. Now why is the devil laying claim on creation on earth and saying this is mine? We have to understand that When man failed in the Garden of Eden, he lost the authority that God had given him to to have dominion over the earth. He abandoned that plan that God had given him to take care of his creation. And by devil tempting him and winning, the devil received that dominion of controlling the powers of the earth. So the devil is right in telling Jesus, you bow at me, worship me, and I will give you all this. But it is much deeper than that. God did not just abandon man when man handed the keys, if you may, to the devil. But God made a plan whereby he will rescue man or he will rescue the keys back from the enemy, from the devil, and give them back to the man. And that is why Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming so that he can wrestle. He can wrestle these keys from the devil, if you may, and hand them back to man. So the devil is telling Jesus, you don't need to go through the plan of the cross. There is a shortcut for all this. You don't need to strive and wait for God. And friends, I want to tell you, this is the temptation that you will face so many times in your life. You will be faced with this temptation that says that God's promise is taking too long. There has to be a shortcut. There has to be a better way of doing this faster. I am ill. I've been seeking God to get healed, but I'm not getting healed there has to be a quicker way. I've been seeking God for a job, but God is not coming through. There has to be a shorter way. I've been seeking God for this and for that, and he's not coming through. There has to be a better way. And what is that better way? What can I do in my power about this situation? And there is that temptation always to seek, to do something either to help God out or to do something to make it work just because God is late. I want to speak to you, especially young people who are looking for life partners. This is a temptation that you are going to face. You know that you are standing on a live wire if you go on dating someone who is not a Christian. But you are going to be tempted that... A Christian boyfriend is not coming. A Christian girlfriend is not coming my way. 
I'll just date this one that is not a Christian. Oh, I'll work. I'll change them. Let me help God out here. I want to tell you, you are setting yourself out for trouble. Even if it seems that God is taking too long, the promise of God is written in stone. He is going to fulfill that promise. The promise of God is written in the blood of Jesus. He is going to fulfill that promise. All you have to do is keep waiting. Is keep hoping. Is keep believing. And you will see the goodness of God in the time of living. So Jesus refuses to take this shortcut to the cross. And what the devil is craving is just worship. From the beginning, that was his disagreement with God. He was craving that worship. So for him, it will be such a big deal for God to worship him because he considered himself equality with God. But Jesus says, no, I am going to trust in God's promise. I am going to trust in God's time. And it will be done unto me according to the word of God. So we can overcome temptations. How can we do that? One thing we have to notice as I conclude is that temptations will always come. There is no period in your life that you will reach and you will say, yeah, I'm done now with temptations. Jesus was tempted up to the last breath of his life. So you are not going to be an exception. I want to guarantee you immediately after this service ends, you are going to be tempted. I'll guarantee you. As soon as you walk outside that door, you are going to be tempted. So how can we overcome temptations? The enemy is trying to make us to deny our father's provision, to doubt his protection, and to despair the father's promise. But here is the good news. Jesus defeated temptations, and so will we. How can we do that? Number one, through the word of God. As I said, read, meditate, memorize, live the word of God. Get rooted in the word of God. You will have the tools to overcome temptations. Number two, prayer. Notice that Jesus defeated the devil because he had been spending 40 days and 40 nights in a place of meditation, in a place of prayer, in a place of submission to the Father. And that is why he could be able to face the enemy and have the right tools to be able to defeat temptations. So to defeat temptation, you have to be rooted in the word. You have to be rooted in prayer. And above all else, you have to have the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus went to the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. He had the Holy Spirit in him. And so do you. You have the Holy Spirit in you when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now I have to tell you, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You have no chance. Against the devil. You stand zero chance. 
For you to have any chance of defeating temptation, you have to put your faith and hope and everything in Jesus. So if you haven't done so already, make that step of putting your faith in him. And then he is going to empower you by his spirit. And by his spirit, the spirit will give you the desire to study his word. Will give you the desire to pray. And will bring to memory the scriptures and the tools that you need to be able to say no to the enemy every time he strikes. Remember this also, that no temptations that can come your way is uncommon. As it says in 1 Corinthians, no temptations has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I want to encourage you, especially those who are going through difficult temptations. You will try to leave that thing, but it just keeps coming and coming and coming. That situation is not only unique to you. Jesus has gone through the same, the the exact thing that you are going through, he has. But he has overcome. So can you. Why? Because he has already developed a way out of it. So flee from temptation. Look out for that path that God, don't put yourself in a position of vulnerability. Escape by the power of the Holy Spirit. As I finish, I just want to direct you to one scripture that is important, which is Ephesians 6. And it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may, not, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, I'm lost. Everything to stand with your feet fitted, with the farm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Temptations are going to come, but we need to arm ourselves always with the tools that are needed to handle. And putting on the full armor of God is one way that we can do that. But also remembering that just as we face these things, there are others around us who are vulnerable 
to these kinds of temptations. Let us give them a hand by supporting them, by praying for them, by standing with them. One good way of doing that is being accountable to someone. If you are going through stuff that you find difficult digesting and going through all the time, be accountable to someone. Let someone guide you and talk to you and be there for you in difficult situations. And if we watch out for each other and live according to the word of God, we will overcome just as Christ overcame. Shall we stand? So I do believe that each one of us, even as the music team comes back, each one of us has something that they struggle with. It may be something small. It may be something so big. But each one of us, you have something that you... It just can't go away. You can think, oh, this time it has gone away, but it just comes back weeks later, months later, years later. That is temptation. And the devil doesn't tempt you on your strongest point. He will always tempt you on your weakest point. There are steps you can take this morning. One of the steps you can step this morning is just to confess. Just to confess that sin. That thing that the enemy keeps on bringing time and time again. And by confessing it, you will have taken the first step to saying that, Jesus, I need you. I need you to intervene in this. Probably for so many times you have thought, I'm just going to sort this one out. And you try and you succeed for a season. But then it just comes back again. Confess. Either confess to God or confess to each other. And just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you in that area of your life. Another step you might take this morning is just to say, Lord, I need you to give me new passion for your word. The word of God is rooted in richness. But we miss out. We feed our body so much and neglect our spiritual. I pray that we will be people who will desire this morning to say that root me Christ in you so that my desire will be more of the spiritual than of the physical. It's not an easy thing. I struggle with it all the time. It ashames me sometimes the amount of time I spend feeding my body and how less I I feed my spirit. But one thing I've found out to be true is any time I feed my spirit, whether for a minute or two, the rewards are just mind-blowing. Why I don't do it often is the big question. But we need God to help us. We need the Holy Spirit to help us.